Welcome to Changeling Cast, the podcast dedicated to reading and dissecting urban fantasy, paranormal, and speculative romance series. I'm your host, Mara, from the YouTube channel Books Like Woe, and this season we are making our way through Nalini Singh's Psy Changeling series. we have got another novella episode. Today we are talking about the two novellas that come after Heart of Obsidian, but before Shields of Winter, and that is Flirtation of Fate and Secrets at Midnight. Now, I definitely enjoy both of these novellas. I think I landed actually on giving each of them a three and a half star, which is like a B plus to me. I do have critiques, however, of both of them. Um, and I don't know, we'll, we'll see how, I, we'll see how this episode goes. I don't think these are the best of the best of Nalini Singh novellas, but that is very high watermark because I just really love Nalini Singh novellas. They're some of my favorite things of hers to read. So I don't think, think these are like the creme de la creme, but I do think that there's some interesting stuff happening in them. So first let's start with Flirtation of Fate. And this is... Kenji and Garnet slash Jim's novella. Now, I mentioned, I think briefly in Tangle of Need, that I felt like that book may have worked better for me had the A plot been Kenji and Jim rather than Riaz and Adria. And that's because I think that this particular novella is actually pretty long for a novella, at least for a side changeling novella. It's it's a good, I think, 150 pages. And I think that that content could have been pretty easily incorporated or interpolated into the rest of what was happening in Tangle of Need. And I think I personally would have preferred to have this be a story interwoven with other stories rather than a standalone. Whereas I think that if Riaz and Adria had gotten their story as a standalone novella, I think I would have enjoyed it more. So I, I suspected that during Tangle of Need, and I think upon this reread, I feel more strongly that that is the case. That would have been my personal preference. Unfortunately, Nalini Singh does not take creative notes from me, so I don't know how much that is worth. Um, but that being said, basically, Kenji and Jem are both lieutenants in Snowdancer. We have seen them dancing. <laughs> See what I did there? Uh, we've seen them dancing around each other for a lot of the last few books. It's well known that they have a flirtation going and everybody kind of thinks they're going to end up together, but there's like some sort of weird bad blood that nobody's totally clear on what it is or why it is. And this is the book where we kind of find out what happened. So Kenji is a few years older than Jem. And he was her older brother's BFF. And upon her 21st birthday, she thought he was going to make a move. And he, we find out, was intending to make a move. But instead, he stood her up on her 21st birthday and then very visibly started dating like every woman in the pack. <laughs> Basically, he kind of went through like a quote unquote manslut phase 
And she was completely devastated because she thought that they were like, they had a really deep connection um, as friends. And she thought that they were making a transition into something more. And then he stood her up and treated her really badly in the course of that. And so she is very confused about why he has treated her the way that he has. And really that friendship soured into like, I mean, enemies is too strong, but like she, she has a problem with him. She doesn't like him. And we've, we get this impression throughout that Kenji does really like her, but that for some reason he's messed this up. So they are brought back together because they're going to have a conference with Riaz and Adria as, or no, Riaz and um, Indigo. And they're all meeting at Jim's uh, kind of like main headquarters or den. Her, she, I believe, has Los Angeles as sort of like her territory. So they're all meeting in LA together. And Riaz and Indigo are delayed by some weather issues. And during that delay, somebody is found murdered in the den and at first it looks like it might be this one guy who's kind of in with the body but quickly it doesn't really look like it's him so they kind of discard that and it becomes sort of a locked room mystery. Now if you guys know anything about my tastes in general you will know that my ideal book has a mystery plot it has speculative elements and it has a strong romantic element as well. So this is basically like my ideal book setup. So in terms of just like purely pleasing Mara and what she likes in a book, this this did that. I don't think that the mystery was particularly difficult to solve, but I enjoyed the process of getting there. And I won't get into any of that because if you're going to read this novella, like I'll let you sort of, I'll let you explore all of that part of the the story for yourself. So really what I'm going to focus on is the relationship element. And I don't see a way that I can talk about this without kind of spoiling what happened between Kenji and Jim. So if you don't want to know that, I guess skip ahead, but I am going to get into that piece at least. Usually in the novellas, I try not to tell you too much because I'm like, well, if you're going to read this at all, I feel like you should just go read it. But I'm going to get into it because I don't think we can talk about my feelings without getting into this. So basically what we find out is that Kenji, right before he was going to go pick up Jim for her birthday, found out, so he, when he was a kid, he had had this sickness where he had nearly died and he had gotten kind of an experimental treatment um, to save his life. And he finds out right before he stands up Jim that one of the long-term effects of the fact that he had this experimental treatment is that it has left him pretty much sterile. He is very unlikely to be able to have kids. Uh, and he knew that that that's like one of Jem's biggest dreams. She'd always wanted to be a mom. She comes from so we kind of know that the, sh the shifters or the changelings are not very, uh, they're not a very fecund people. Um, they have not necessarily very high birth rates. But her family was kind of an exception to that. She has, I think, like three sets of twin siblings. She, there's like seven or eight kids in her family. And she she wants a bunch of kids as well. And so he knew that he didn't want to take that dream away from her. So he decided to push her away because he knew, you know, with her giving heart or whatever, she would whatever. 
basically the entire reason he's been keeping her, like himself from her has been because he thinks she wants kids and he instead of talking to her about it he just like doesn't talk to her about it and pines for for her from afar and like the other thing i should mention is at the beginning of this novella there's sort of this scene at um sienna and hawk's mating ceremony where they have this interaction where he kisses her and from that it kind of awakens the fact that he I mean, he's never really come out and told himself this, but we the reader know and like he comes to realize this as well. His wolf has known that she is his mate, like from the jump. So he kind of realizes that he's not going to be able to put that back in the box. But he also doesn't want to take this choice away from her. I don't guys, I just feel like this was a very I, I didn't love this as a motivation because it's a miscommunication trope. Like, literally, this is a story that gets resolved. Once he uses his big boy words and explains to her, this is why I pulled away from you. And of course, she's mad at him. But then she's like, hey, guess what? I'm mad because you lied to me, not because we couldn't have biological children. We can adopt children. We both love children. Like, we could adopt them. And she points out that, like, there are plenty of pack mates who have adopted human children, even, uh, into the pack and that those are fully their children and like <laughs> there's like no reason why they couldn't do that if they decide that they want to have children of their own but they're also like lieutenants they basically are kind of a third parent to every child in their den like they get plenty of paternal or maternal like time with kids like she immediately points out to him that like none of this is actually really a problem <laughs> and so then it's immediately resolved and they immediately become mates and they agree like, okay, you know, I'm gonna like, they'll, we'll have five, each of us will have five days at our den and two of them will be on our own and three of them will be, the other person will come to our den and like, we'll work it out so that we're only ever spending really two days apart. So like, I, I, I don't, guys, I just don't know. I like, <laughs> I really struggled with this conflict because I, I really like Jim and Kenji together. I think they make a great team. I believe like the sexy times were sexy. I it, like was giving what it was supposed to give. Like all of that was great. But like, literally, it's a miscommunication trope for the romance. And I just I know Nalini has more in her. Like I've seen her do more and I wanted more because like, I just it for me, it's just very hard to be fully satisfied with a romance that the conflict is resolved literally in one conversation, which is pretty much what happens here. So while I did actually enjoy all the elements of this, I still like this, I would give it a B plus like this could have I think if that had not been the conflict, or as to my earlier point, if it had been in Tangle of Need, and the fact that it's a miscommunication trope had sort of been buried amidst everything else that's happening in that book, I think I could have gotten into it more. But that anyway, I, you guys know how I feel. I feel like I've communicated that. So we'll just move on. But anyway, it is still a good book. Um, or it's still a good story. I still enjoyed it. I just really wish there hadn't been that element. So then we'll go to um, uh, not flirtation of faith. That's what we just talked about. We'll go to secrets at midnight. And this is with Baz, who is the oldest, youngest, not oldest, youngest, the oldest, younger brother of Mercy, who is our heroine from book five. She is Riley's mate, and she is currently pregnant with the pup cubs. And this is her oldest younger brother, who is very charming. We've seen him in previous books. He's very sexy. And he's like the he's kind of the big numbers guy for the Dark River pack. 
Um, he like runs a lot of their investment portfolios, etc. So he's like kind of a hot business dude who's also a leopard. Like I was into this. I'm not going to lie. Um, and he has smelled on the wind his mate, but he cannot find her anywhere. And uh, so he basically this is a book of him trying to find her and he does pretty quickly. He finds her and her name is Kirby. She's new to town. He meets her at an older packmate's house, um, this older packmate being Vera and Kirby is a new neighbor. And um, so they they meet there. And actually, there's a very Vera is a very um, kind of like a rapscallion older lady. And uh, she, you know, is giving him the business when <laughs> she realizes what's going on between them. Uh, and she says, Vera's response was a grin bright and full, and full of anticipation. I'll enjoy watching you fall, Bastion Smith. I bet she wraps you around her finger. A shrug, those deliciously broad shoulders catching Kirby's attention again. Of course she will. Impossible as it was, it felt as if his voice was pitched to stroke over her senses. What would be the point otherwise? Vera's smile turned affectionate. I'm glad you, to see you understand that. And that's, yeah, like that's just, ugh. I the, it's just those little moments that make me love this series of just how the faded mate aspect of this is characterized. So anyway, uh, he is very confused by her scent because it's like he almost senses that she's a changeling, but she doesn't think she's a changeling at all. And so he's confused at first, but pretty quickly, basically what they realize is that she was an orphan um, of changeling parents and she grew up like she was raised as a human basically so um she just never knew that that was a part of her history or her ancestry and the sort of like trauma of the accident where her parents were killed uh kept her from realizing that that was the situation and it's this is posed i have similar critique of this as the previous one which is it's sort of posed as a mystery but you the reader figure this out incredibly quickly but um that's sort of the journey that kirby is going on which is finding out about this kind of past uh family family lineage that she has or ancestry and and kind of um getting in touch with her heritage basically and uh we find out kind of where her parents were from and she connects with some family and i will not spoil what kind of changeling she is but it's very cute and uh they are very cute together but you know a lot of the tension in this one is he's basically not wanting to fully unleash the mating aspect of this until she kind of is able to get her arms around her past and uh and you know to make peace and learn about her changeling side so that's sort of what is holding back the mating in this one um and this one is just very sweet i think that this is one you probably could read if you had not been reading along with the series like i think that this reads as a pretty standard i mean standard like a cut above, but in terms of its plotting, it's a pretty familiar paranormal romance type trope. So I think that if you wanted to just get a flavor of Nalini Singh, this would be a pretty good one to do it with. I don't know that it's like extraordinary, but I do, I just like it. It's, it feels very wholesome and sweet. I like Kirby. I like Bastion slash Baz. Um, I just like them together. And I just think that this is lovely. Like it's just a lovely little morsel of side changeling delight. Uh, and it's maybe not the most memorable, but it's still satisfying. So 
I think that those are the two novellas. And actually, these are the last two novellas that we're going to cover because as of this taping, at least, there are not any other novellas in the series that have been released. I mean, I hope by the time I finish this season, that will not be the case because I do love these novellas. But as of right now, this is it for the novellas. We will do one more uh, short story catch up because there are a bunch of like little vignette short story things between the last one we did and the series to date. So we'll do one more of those. But for now, uh, this is it for the novellas, which, yeah, I love these so much. It makes me a little sad <laughs> that we're through all of them. But that means our next episode is a full novel and all the rest of except for our short story catch up, pretty much all the rest of the episodes will be for full novels. And the next one is Shields of Winter. And I'm not going to give away who our hero is and what's going on. But gosh, I love this stretch of books. <laughs> They're so good. Uh, and I do really enjoy the next one. So I remember, I don't think I've ever, no, I've never reread this one. I've only read it once, but I remember it very fondly and I am very much looking forward to my rereads. So join me for Shields of Winter in about two weeks. Wherever fine books are sold, you can get your copy. Uh, yeah, join me for that. And I think that that will do it for this entry. So if you enjoyed the podcast, do take a minute to rate and review wherever you are listening from. Definitely helps other people find the podcast. If you're looking for me, you can find me at Books Like Whoa, pretty much everywhere across social media, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, Goodreads, TikTok, all the things you can find me. And I think that that will do it for me. Hope you guys are having a great day and I will talk to you in two weeks. Bye.